Amen. Lord, you do indeed do all things well. Father, any good thing that happens is only because of you. You are a great and an awesome God, a perfect heavenly Father. And Lord, we thank you for your love, your grace, your infinite mercy. Lord, we pray as we go to your word that you would be our teacher tonight. Father, we don't want to just come and study a book. We want to we want to touch the hem of your garment. We want to receive from you what you would have for us tonight. We ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Great having you here. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. We continue our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Let me encourage you for Sunday, read Titus chapter 3. Those of you who won't be at the married couple's retreat, read Titus chapter 3. We're Lord willing, going to finish up Titus uh, this coming Sunday. All right. Well, let me catch you up. This is a long chapter tonight. Uh, that means you can run out of the building now if you'd like. No, actually, it's a great chapter, and it's one of my favorite in the Bible. It's kind of hard to say you have a favorite chapter in the Bible. It's like asking which one of your kids is your favorite. You love them all. But I do love this text, the story of David and Goliath. Good stuff. But just to catch us up, as we've gone through First Samuel, we've seen the transition now from the prophet Samuel to the first king of Israel, Saul. But remember, Saul was the king that the people cried out for. We're going to see yet again tonight that we should not be crying out for anything but the Lord's will. Because when we ask for what we want, it never works out very well. And this king that they cried out for and they received, you know, he was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was good looking. He started off humble. He had Samuel leading him. He had godly men around him. But it didn't take long for his true character to come out. Then last week we began the transition from the king that the people cried out for to God's man. And we saw the clear contrast in a message I entitled A Tale of Two Kings. Let me encourage you to get the the tape or the CD. They're always free. But we saw a clear contrast between a man who had a heart for God and a man who had a heart for himself. And even though Saul was head and shoulders above the rest, when David was anointed king, he didn't have what Saul had outwardly. But that's where we hear that verse that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. That was God's warning to Samuel. Don't look at the outward appearance, you're going to be fooled by it. And even as Samuel went out, he began to look at these older (laughs) brothers of David, and he didn't think they were the men, but truly it's the heart that God looks for. So it's not our outward characteristics, it's not our outward, uh, even our intellect or anything else. It's a heart for God that God longs for. And so as we come to tonight's text, we're going to see... David enter into one of the most famous battles in the Bible. Probably every five-year-old who goes to church has heard of it. But my prayer is that you would really grasp something out of tonight's text. We're going to see a one-sided battle between a physically overpowering giant warrior and a young, humble, spirit-filled shepherd boy. And as we look at it, we're going to, from our perspective, you would think it is indeed a one-sided battle. But what I'm here to tell you, it's a one-sided battle, but not in the way that you think. You might think, well, man, that, you know, as we're going to talk about this giant versus this shepherd boy, that's a one-sided battle. It is indeed a one-sided battle, but we need to look at it from a spiritual perspective, not a physical one. So we're going to see in tonight's text that Texas battle is one-sided, and it's one-sided because God is on one man's side and not the other. You plus God is the majority. We must not make the mistake of looking at, the, at things the way the world does. So if you're a note-taker, I actually have nine points. There's 58 verses tonight. We will go through them all. This evening, we'll move at a very rapid pace. So, in the one-sided battle between a physically overpowering giant warrior and a young, humble spirit, 
Feld Shepherd Boy, the first thing we're going to see is the overwhelming size of the enemy. And for you and I, we can relate to that to the impossible circumstances that happen in life sometimes. It may be your health, your finances, problems with your marriage, your children, your job. Sometimes there are things you look at from an outward appearance and they seem overwhelming. And you know what? Just like David, seeing through spiritual eyes, did not see this enemy as overwhelming, so too we need to realize that no matter what we're going through, nothing is too great for our God. Secondly, we're going to see the fearful response of the physically focused. You know what? If you see a great enemy and your focus is on the physical, you're going to be fearful. But the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. So we should not be fearful when faced with a giant enemy because we need to remember that no matter how big the enemy, our God is much greater. But we're going to see in the text that those who look at the physical are fearful. If you're fearful tonight, you need to get your eyes off the physical. Third, the bold response of the spirit field. So we have the fearful response of the physically focused, and then we have the bold response of the spiritually filled. We're going to see that one person in the whole group is going to be willing to step out. Why? Because he sees with spiritual eyes, and he is a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Fourthly, we're going to see the world's criticism and caution toward those who boldly step out in faith. Know this, when you step out in faith, people will criticize you, and people will voice concerns to you, even other believers sometimes. Are you out of your mind? Are you quitting your job? You must be kidding. Why would you do that? Uh, Because God told me to, and that's good enough. Amen? Amen. And the point is that there are going to be those who do that, and we're going to see that tonight with David. Fifthly, a spirit-filled man's faith is not his own ability, but in the power of God. A spirit-filled man doesn't put his faith in his ability or his talents. He puts it all in, in the Lord, in the power of Almighty God. Sixth, we're going to see that the world tries to overcome spiritual attacks using worldly methods. The Bible tells us to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. We don't turn to the world for answers, we turn to the Lord. Seventh, the contrast between physical and spiritual perspective. We'll see that in Goliath and in David. Then eighth, we'll see putting feet to our faith. It's not just believing God can bring victory, but living like it. It's one thing to say, well, I know God can do it, and it's another thing to live like it. David didn't just say, well, I believe God can do it. He stepped out in faith. And then lastly, a spirit-filled man remains humble even in victory. So, got a lot to cover. Let's begin in verse 1, looking at, again, this one-sided battle between a physically overpowering giant warrior and a young, humble, spirit-filled shepherd boy. And the first point being the overwhelming size of the enemy. Look at verse 1. Now, the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. And they were, belt, they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and they encamped between Soko and Azekah and Ephes Damon. Now, here's the thing. The Philistines were gathered together for battle, and the one of the words you want to notice there is, it says, belongs to Judah. That means that they were gathered up for battle, and they were already in the land of Israel. They were already in the land of promise. They had already come in and encroached upon the land that God had given the children of Israel. And this was only possible because back in chapter 14, when they were fighting the Philistines, if you'll remember what happened, King Saul had a rash oath against his own army, They grew weak and weary and couldn't finish the job God had called them to. And now the Philistines are coming back. And here's an example for all of us. If we do not deal with our flesh, if we do not deal with these things of life and bring them before the throne of grace and fall broken before God and repent, they're going to come back. We need to deal with the areas where we've fallen away from God. 
And so this takes place not long after the Philistines have been soundly beaten by Israel. This would not even be happening if they had just simply obeyed God. Remember also in 1 Samuel 15 in the battle of the Amalekites, a picture of the flesh. The same thing happened. Saul was told to put all the flesh to death and all the Amalekites. And what he did instead was he brought some of them back, including the king. And later his own death was announced by an Amalekite. Guys, we must put our flesh to death. So what was the end result for Saul not doing his job well? The Holy Spirit had left him. And the Holy Spirit has left him. And because of that, the job was not, well, was not finished. And now the Philistines probably, no doubt, I believe, have heard about the fact that Samuel has pronounced that Saul, the Spirit has left you and the kingdom has gone from you. And now in the midst of this turmoil, the Philistines see this as a great time to pounce. This is exactly what the enemy does with us, you guys. Our enemy is watching, will always try to take advantage of us when we have our guard down, when we're not walking in the Spirit, when we're not spending time in His Word. When you're not walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you make yourself a wide-open target for the enemy. And so, there's turmoil within Israel, their own king, as we saw last time when they went to fight the Philistines. He's sitting and he's hiding. Even when his own son went and fought the battle for him, he's not being the king he should be. The word is out. The enemy is on the doorsteps, ready to fight the battle. And we know that Saul was their king, and he was to be their champion. Let's see how he responds. Verse 2. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together. And they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle ray against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. Now this setting, if you go to Israel with us next year, we will go to the valley of Elah. And in the valley of Elah, it is a very green and lush place, the time of year that we go, and It's a place with a hill on one side and some distance in between with a small creek going through it. And on the other side is yet another mountain or hill. And they were mounted up, children of Israel on one mountain, and the Philistines mounted up on the other. They could see each other. They could yell and taunt each other. They were close enough to do that, but they were set apart from each other. In the middle of that was a small creek where water only ran during the rainy season. So at this time, the creek would, would be dried up. There's nothing there, but they're there in the valley of Elah. So the, they're mounted up, and they're, in a way, I believe, you know, attempting to psych each other out. You know, I played football, and you know, that's something that you do. I don't think it works, but you, know, you try to get the other team afraid of you somehow. You know, when my son's team, Monta Vista Christian, when they play Seaside, Seaside actually has like a war chant they do. They come out and do this, this war chant, and they actually, the CCS told them they couldn't do it anymore. But they would do this thing and just try to psych the other team out. And here's what's happening. They're mounted up for war, and they're gathering up, and they're yelling at each other. And you know what? It's going to get turned up a notch because now the Philistines have been sitting mounted up in a battle array, and Israel's mounted up in a battle array, and now they're going to start sending their champion down to taunt them one-on-one, to really just start yelling out to them and to bring shame upon Israel in hopes of frightening them or getting them to turn away. Now look what it says in verse 4. And the champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. 
and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a, sh- and a shield bearer went before him. Now let's talk about this guy. He, he was somewhere between nine and a half and ten and a half feet tall, okay? Because the, the, the word there for a cubit, you know, the word de- defining his height, a cubit is a distance between your elbow and your fingertip. And depending on how tall the person is that measures it, you know, it's not exact, okay? But it was six of these. So if the average is 18 to 20 inches long, that makes him at least nine and a half feet tall. And a span is from your thumb to your fingertip when you hold your hand out this way. So this is how tall this guy was. About nine and a half, maybe to ten and a half feet tall. And his weight was somewhere between 625 and 750 pounds. Now, ten feet tall, 750 pounds. Then he has on a bronze helmet, a coat of maul. His coat, based on that description, weighed 125 pounds. His javelin, he was so big, he carried it like a weaver's beam between his shoulders like this. He walked out carrying it. And the head of his spear weighed 15 pounds. Just the little top, the, the head of the spear that you throw that has the pointy end on it, that was 15 pounds just on the end of it. This guy was yoked. And not only that, he had a guy going in front of him, an armor bearer, carrying some more of his stuff. So this is a big guy with another guy carrying his stuff. He's got a helmet on. He's a man of war. And I, you know, I imagine, I can't imagine what this guy's voice must have sounded like. Imagine a guy's nine and a half, ten feet tall, 650 to 750 pounds. I can't imagine how deep that voice might have been. And here's this guy, and the word champion literally is a middleman, or a man between two. The idea was he was a man who stood between two armies, and he would fight to represent one of them. So this guy was an ominous sight. He was an overwhelming enemy, as we've been talking about. And he's coming down, and he's standing there in front of them, and everybody looks at him and thinks, no way. We can't touch this guy. This guy's huge. Now, it's believed that he's from Gath, as it says in the text. His name means splendor. But many believe he was a descendant of the Anakim, who were from that area, who were giants in the land. So this guy is truly a giant and overwhelming. And if you look at it from a physical perspective, because you have to understand, the people in those days were not even as big as we are now, more than likely. So that means that 10 foot, that is just ridiculous. He's twice the size of everybody else. Maybe three to four times the weight of everybody else. And he's got a big old spear and he's a trained warrior. And he's coming down and he wants one guy to come out and fight. And uh, not a lot of volunteers. (laughs) Nobody's really all that excited. Look at verse 8. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said, Why have you come out? To line up for battle. Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now this guy is the ultimate picture of pride. He comes marching down and says, get the best guy you got and send him down here and I'm going to crush him. And he brings the challenge day after day. Now let me ask you a question. Who is the champion of Israel? Supposed to be Saul, right? Now this is going to happen as we're going to see moving on the text 40 40 days in a row. And 40 days in a row he comes down and bellows out this challenge. And every day they're probably looking at Saul like, okay dude. This is why we voted for you, man. 
head and shoulders above the rest. You're bigger than all of us. You're the biggest guy we got. Go get him. This is why we wanted a king to begin with. We asked God for a king. We chose you over God, dude. You better get down there now and fight. And Saul already knew, but the Holy Spirit's been removed from me. And he told me that God wasn't with me anymore. And if I go down there, he'll kill me. I'm not going. And you know what? He's not going to go. He's absolutely not going to go. Goliath is the ultimate picture of pride because he had seen no one among the servants of Saul who even approached his monstrous size. And so he thought he was invincible. And again, we almost see the amount of confidence the Philistines must have had in Goliath as they placed their entire futures in his hands. It's for these exact circumstances that Israel again had cried out for this king. Now it's time for him to go out. Give me a man that we may fight together. Can you imagine those words echoing through the valley? Give me a man that we may fight together. And it's just echoing. Imagine Saul sitting up there going, oh man, I'm the guy and I can't do it. And challenge has been made. This, this, this enemy is overwhelming. These circumstances are impossible. How would the people respond? Where was their champion? What are they going to do? So we see the overwhelming size of the enemy. Now we're going to see the fearful response of the physically focused. Here's the enemy. He's big as they come. No man bigger on the planet more than likely. Oh man, this guy's outrageous. And he's a trained mighty warrior to begin with. And how do they respond? Verse 11. Then Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine and they were amazed, dismayed, and greatly afraid. They, got, they were fearful. Now, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Where is Saul? If Saul believed the word of God, back in Deuteronomy chapter 20, the Lord promises to his people, Hear, O Israel, you are approaching a battle against your enemies today. Do not be faint-hearted. Do not be afraid or panic or tremble before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. If he had believed the word of God and still been walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, he could have marched down that hill and fought the enemy knowing he would have had victory. But the problem was, he no longer had the spirit. He was not a man of the word. He was faithless. They were greatly dismayed and again, very fearful. The power of God had left Saul and this once brave man was now afraid. Remember that fear and worry are the opposite of faith. We're afraid when we've lost faith. We're worried when we have no faith. We're anxious when we don't have faith. Because if I'm anxious, I'm saying God's not paying attention. Well, he's got to hurry up. If I'm worried, well, God's not going to take care. If I'm afraid, well, God's not going to protect me. Well, that's not, none of those things are true. God is faithful and we must trust him. It's foolish to follow and get advice from one who is not filled with the Holy Spirit. And this man, indeed, is no longer filled with the Holy Spirit. So these physically, physically focused people with a fleshly king were greatly afraid in light of their circumstances. Guys, Satan tries to do the same thing today. He tries to render us faithless and fearful. When you operate in your own fleshly strength, you will be overwhelmed by your circumstances. You absolutely will. There will be things that come your way and you will be overwhelmed. But again, as I said, God has not given us a spirit of fear. It shouldn't surprise us that it will be a man filled with the Holy Spirit who's going to take this giant down. It's a man who is without the Holy Spirit who is fearful, and it is a man filled with the Holy Spirit who will be faithful. And that's the difference, guys, between fearful and faithful, being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you want to walk faithful to God, there must be less of you, and you must be filled to overflowing with the Spirit of the living God. 
So in the face of this overwhelming enemy, it's going to be a spirit-filled man, and we'll see him in a few verses. Now, let's read on to verse 12. Now, David was the son of the Epaphrodite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons, and the man was old and advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to battle, and the names of the three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, Abinadab, Next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Now, if you remember how the last chapter ended, when the Holy Spirit departed from Saul, a distressing spirit, it says, was sent by the Lord, which in my opinion means that the Lord allowed a, a demonic spirit to come and torment him. Why do I believe that? Because when David would come and worship before him, the distressing spirit would flee. And a, a spirit from God would not flee in those cases. So David had already been come and become the armor bearer to Saul, and he would come into the palace and he would play worship music to bring contentment and to remove this distress from the heart of King Saul. But at the same time, this anointed king of Israel, already anointed by Samuel, already the king, would when he wasn't serving Saul, would still run home and watch the sheep and take care of his elderly father. This is a humble young man. And this is the kind of man that God can use. He wasn't saying, well, Saul, the Holy Spirit's been removed from me because I'm the king and you're not. So you better just step off, right? He didn't do that. What did he do instead? He kept serving. And he let the Lord be the one to lift him up. He never tried to elevate himself. He let God do it. And so David was the true king of Israel, but still spends most of his time, and I believe, tending sheep and waiting on his father. And I imagine that God is using that time to prepare David for the things to come. Because David would sit out with the sheep and worship. David would sit out there and pray. And as we'll see later in this text, David would fight the lions and the bears, and God was preparing him to see, I will be faithful when you fight the bear, and I'm going to be faithful when you fight Goliath, and I'm going to be faithful when you fight entire nations of people if you will keep your faith and your trust in me. God often allows us to see him be faithful in the small things so that we will be faithful in the greater things when, time, when the time comes. So this is all preparation for David. As I said last week, Bethlehem means house of bread. And it is also known as the city of David. David was born there. And Jesus is the bread of life. And the Messiah is referred to as the son of David. So we see just a very clear connection between David and our Savior. And Jesus would be a descendant of David. Now it says, verse 16. And the Philistines drew near. The Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days morning and evening. So he actually did it twice a day. So 80 times, 40 days, he came down and send out your champion. Send out somebody. I defy you guys. And he's blasting the true and living God. He's daring them to come down. 40 in the Bible is the number of what? Testing. Noah, it rained 40 days and 40 nights in the great flood. Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus fasted for 40 days before he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Israel is being tested by Goliath and they are failing miserably. Why are they failing? Because they didn't have faith in God. Why do we fail in the midst of difficult circumstances? Because we don't have faith in God. We don't trust him. 
A faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Verse 17, And Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news to me. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Well, they weren't really fighting. They were taunting, as we're going to see. So David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the things as he went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. Now, I want you to notice some things. This is the anointed king of Israel. The Holy Spirit is upon him and he's watching the sheep. There's a huge battle going on. He's watching the sheep. His dad comes to him and wants him to be the milkman, basically. Here's some cheese and stuff, and I want you to run this over and give it to your brothers who are standing there playing taunt games with the Philistines. They're not really fighting, but I didn't know that. But go out there and give them, take some cheese to your brothers. Now, and you know what? Cheese is appropriate because they were having an awful lot of wine up there. So wine and cheese. But here's the point. Here's the point. David did not elevate himself. He remained humble. He was willing to go and serve. And what does he do? Yes, and he does it. Look at verse 20. I love this. He arose early in the morning. God told him to do, his dad told him to do something. He didn't say, well, I'll do it afternoon. I want to nap for a while. You know what he did? He got up bright and early in the morning and went out to do it. As we're going to see also in the text, he ran. I love that. And you know what? As believers, when God calls us to do something, let's not do it tomorrow. Next week, when all my kids are grown, when I'm out of debt, that'll never happen. So you get busy about the Lord, amen? And we've always got these conditions for when we want to serve God. And I love this example of David. He's a man filled with the Spirit, and he does everything as unto the Lord. It also says there, he left a keeper. He left it with the sheep a keeper. And I love this because it reveals a true shepherd's heart that even though he was going to get up the next morning and go, he was not going to leave the sheep without someone to watch over them. He was not going to move on to what God had for him next until he replaced somebody. Had somebody step up, had God bring somebody in to replace him and make sure the sheep were cared for. Man, I like that. And you see all this. this and remember, he's a teenager. Less than 15 years old, more than likely. Man, young man. But you know what the difference is? He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he went out as his father commanded. The distance from Bethlehem to Elah is about 11 miles. So he carried cheese and ran 11 miles to take the stuff to his brothers. You know what? There's a reason why God used this man in such a mighty way, this young man. For Israel, verse 21, and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper and ran to the army and came and greeted his, greeted his brothers. So 40 days and 40 nights, they're mounting up against each other. They're across the way. Goliath comes out. They're shouting at each other. I don't know that Israel's saying anything. Goliath's coming down. David shows up. He gives his supply to the, to the people to care for it. And then he runs out to greet his brothers to see how they're doing. Guess what just happened? The Holy Spirit just entered the camp. Prior to this, there was no Holy Spirit. David showed up, the Holy Spirit showed up. And where nobody would speak, somebody's going to speak up. And you know what? The Holy Spirit needs to show up in our neighborhoods. Amen. Holy Spirit needs to show up where we work. 
The Holy Spirit needs to show up everywhere we go. You may walk into an environment where nobody there knows God, and when you show up, the Holy Spirit shows up because He lives inside of you. And when David showed up, things changed. This young man, heart for God. Look what it says. And as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words, so David heard them. Now everybody else has been hearing it for 40 days and 40 nights, and nobody's done anything. King Saul's hiding, and as we're going to see, bribing anyone to take his spot. You can have my daughter, you can have money, you can have anything you want. Just go fight that guy, because if I do, he'll kill me, and I'm not ready to die. So if anybody will take my... Nice king, by the way. So here comes David, filled with the Holy Spirit, and his response is going to be entirely different. 40 days, 40 days of taunting, and look what it says. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. Imagine David showing up, this teenager. He hears this guy blaspheming God, speaking against God. He walks out, he hears it, and then sees all of his own people run away. Including his big brothers and the king that he would go and play music for. And he looks up and thinks, what in the world is up with you guys? So we see, first of all, again, the, the way that this overpowering enemy, this overpowering circumstances... And then how men who are walking in the flesh respond in fear. But watch the bold response of a spirit-filled young man. Verse 25. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. So here's, here's the deal. If you'll go fight him, I'm supposed to. I don't want to. I'm afraid. So if you'll go do it, I'll give you my daughter to marry, and you don't have to pay any taxes, you or any of your family, for the rest of your life. Pretty good deal, right? Now notice that the guys that are even thinking about the possibility of fighting Goliath, their motivation is simply this. Maybe I can get some money out of this. Maybe if I go fight him, I don't really want to, but you know, if I did it, I could get money. And maybe if I went and fought him, maybe even if I died, my family would be... T- so their whole motivation is fleshly. But we're going to see that this young man, David, has a totally different motivation. These, these men were looking at outward appearance. They were looking at the possibility of outward gain. Saul's willing to pay somebody off to do his work. Then look at David, verse 26. Then David spoke to the men. Who stood by him. Remember, he's not yet really a man. He's a teenager, young man. Saying, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? Now again, he's not asking because he wants the money. We're going to see that following verses. He wants to get their attention. He wants to find what's going to be done for the man. And then look at this. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now that's the Holy Spirit speaking. Everybody else is run away, run away, quickly, quickly. He's big. He looks at him and says, who's this guy coming against God? Who's this pagan idol worshiper mocking the true and living God? Who does this guy think he is? How long has this been going on? Why haven't you done anything? What's wrong with you people? Now, when you get real bold, people don't always respond so well. And we're going to see that happen. 
But you know what? He saw this situation from a spiritual focus, from the Lord's perspective. And he saw it. Israel was afraid because of their worldly perspective. He saw it from a godly one. They saw a giant that was bigger than them. And he saw a puny man that was nothing compared to God. And that's the perspective that we must have when it comes to our trials and our circumstances. Because our God is greater than all of it. Verse 27. And the people answered and said to him in this manner, So it shall be done for the man who kills him. So David asked, he really has a desire, the spirit-filled man who's ready to go to battle, to just get the attention of the people. Now watch how the world responds to the boldness of young David. They're going to criticize and caution him because he tries to step out in faith. Look at verse 28. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, big brothers are good at this, by the way. It says, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, Why do you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and insolence of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. David, why did you leave those few sheep? You're a shepherd boy you were watching. You came down here to watch a fight. No, David didn't come down to watch a fight. He came down to fight a fight when nobody else was willing to. Young David was a man after God's own heart. And sadly, many times we make a stand for God, people will tell us we can't do it, we shouldn't do it, we're not called to do it, we're not qualified to do it, and most often it's because they're too fearful to do it. They're afraid to step out, so they tell you not to, so they can feel better about their disobedience. Verse 29, and David said, what have I done? Is there not a cause? He says, what have I done? Is there not a reason for me to be upset about this guy over here? Is there not a cause? This guy's blaspheming God. He's speaking with boldness and you're running away. Is there not a reason for me to be upset about this? Is there not a reason for the Holy Spirit within me not to be stirred up that we need to go down and take care of this guy? He's an uncircumcised Philistine mocking almighty God. Verse 30. Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. So he turns and says, is there not a cause? And they're, they're mocking him. Go back to your sheep shepherd boy. Who do you think you are? You can't even carry a sword around. Get out of here. Go back home. Go back take care of your sheep. And they're mocking him and, and saying to him, there's no way you can do this that you think you're called to do. Verse 31. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. So not only does he point out the sinfulness of the Philistine, now he says, I'll go fight him. Nobody else wants to, I'll do it. I'll do it. You know why? Because my God's greater than anything. And me plus God is a majority and I'm not afraid. Amen. You're all afraid I'm not because I trust the Lord. Again, I love David's heart because look what he says. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. David continues to refer to himself as a servant. And you know what? Saul is so desperate for anybody to do it but him. Anybody but me. Who do you want to go? Anybody but me. I don't care who. Just somebody. And you know what? Finally, there's somebody after 40 days and 80 taunts that showed up. and let, Okay, you want to go? All right, well, he's a little guy, but... I'll send out somebody. It won't be me. Let's give it a shot. And again, a spirit-filled man called by God will not be swayed by the world's criticism. 
It doesn't matter how many people chastise him. It doesn't matter how many people attack him. It doesn't matter how many people are critical of him. If you can be talked out of it, you're not called. If you're called, you won't be talked out of it. It doesn't matter how many people tell you you can't do it. Well, God told me I'm going. That's it. And I'm going to obey the Lord. Verse 33. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. David, you can't do it. David said, I, didn't, I wasn't asking for your opinion, Saul. I heard from God. I, didn't, I wasn't asking what the ungodly, I'm hiding under a tree king thought. I wanted to hear what the Lord had to say. He told me I'm going. I'm going with you or without you, Saul, really. That's kind of where I'm at. I'm just running this by. But here's the point. He still has the heart of a servant. And I appreciate the heart of this young man. So next we see a spirit-filled man's faith is not in his own ability, but in the power of God. Look what it says in verse 34. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it. And delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. Again, what is his faith in? God. The ar- God. He doesn't say he's defied me and my really good slingshot. What he's saying is he's defied the armies of the living God. His faith is not in his power or his ability, but in the power of Almighty God, and that he indeed is on his side. David points to God as his deliverer, not his own ability. David's faith is in the power of God, not in his own ability. David was willing to lay down his life for his father's sheep, and now he's willing to lay down his life for the people that God has called him to one day shepherd, to one day be their king. He's willing to lay down his life. You know what? That's another sign of someone filled with the Holy Spirit. They're willing to lay down their lives completely for the cause of Christ. Look at verse 37. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you, as long as it's not me. I found a live one. This guy's willing. I appreciate that. And you know what? I love this young man. You know what? All that we go through today is preparation for what's next. His time out there watching over the sheep, he had no idea that he was ever going to be anything more than a shepherd until Samuel showed up and anointed him as king. And he was faithful in what was right in front of him. And all the while, God was preparing him. I have greater things than lions for you to slay. But you're slaying lions now that you'll be prepared to slay giants later. And the same is true for you. As we see God's power and faithfulness in the small things, our faith and our boldness grows for the greater things. Number six, the world tries to overcome spiritual attacks by worldly methods. Now look what happens here. So he's found a live one. I got somebody who will go. Verse 38, so Saul clothed David with his armor. Now remember, Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else right? How tall was he? I have no idea, but seven feet tall wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. David is a kid. You take the armor of a guy seven feet tall and drop the armor on the kid. You just, you just crush him, right? And they're putting armor on him. And you know what it is? What we're seeing again is men trying to prepare men to do the work of God using worldly methods. God has already, did he have armor on when he was killing the lions and the bears? 
God was with him. He didn't need armor. He had God. So he, now he, he, what's happening is he's trying to get him to turn and do things differently and follow man's pattern instead of just obeying the Lord and doing what God's called him to do. So he takes all this armor and he puts it on him and he's going to learn this isn't going to work. I need to do things God's way, not man's way. So Paul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said, I can't walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Can't you see this little teenage guy just trying to walk with a bunch of armor on his helmet that's way too big? And You know what I mean? And he, you know, like a little kid wearing his father's suit or something, right? And he's walking out there going, this is not helping, guys. This, this isn't working. You know, we're to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. We are to, Lord, I'm going to do it your way, not try to take on man's stuff to help me be successful. Number seven, the contrast between the spiritual and physical perspective. Look at verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, and a sling that was in his hand, he drew near to the Philistine. Now, David uses the weapons he's familiar with. Guys, for you to have victory against your circumstances and the things of this world and your flesh, you must be familiar with your weapons. And for us, the weapon is the Word of God. For you to be successful, you must be familiar with the weapon. Now, when we were in Israel last year, we went to the Valley of Elah, and that dry creek is still there. And I grabbed some of the rocks out of that creek, and I've got one of them right here. And it says 1 Samuel 17 right on it. I keep it on my desk. And I'm actually let you guys hand this right. Now, I don't know how big the rock was that David used, but it was five smooth stones out of this very same creek that I took this rock. And David took rocks. I, again, I don't know how big they were, how shaped they were, but it was a rock from the same creek I took this one. And he's going to go into battle. So if you guys want to just pass it, I would like to get it back when I'm done, when you're done. <laughs> just go and pass it around, take a look at it. All right? So... The valley of Elah, he reaches down, he grabs five stones, he puts these stones from the brook in his little shepherd's bag, and he goes out to fight. Now, some have wondered, why did he pick up five stones? Now, there are some people that say, well, he's just being prepared. Others have said, and and I'm inclined this way, but I don't have proof of it, but that he had a combination between brothers and sons of four. So either four brothers or four sons. And the way it worked then, if you fought and killed somebody, you had to fight his whole family. So in a sense, David was prepared to kill Goliath and his brothers. I'm going to take five stones with me. All five. If you want to step out after your brother goes down or your dad or whoever, I'll be ready for you. Five of you, five stones should be plenty, right? Because God is faithful, right? And so he's got five stones. He puts them in the bag. Verse 41. So the Philistine came. And began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. This is two against one. It's not even 10 foot 750 against a teenager. He's got a guy going in front of him carrying a shield and a bunch of stuff who no doubt's bigger than David himself. And they come marching down and here comes David with his slingshot. Man, I love this story. This is so good. This is good stuff. And when the Philistine looked, verse 42, and saw David, he disdained him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? 
And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. We're going to see how that works out for him, by the way. I've had people say that to me. Well, so-and-so at work cursed me by her gods. You know what? You can curse me by all the false gods in the world you want because they don't exist. How's that? You know, why are you worried about, oh, she cursed me. So what? God's in control, amen? You serve the only true and living God, the only God there is. There is no other God before and beside him or after him. What are you worried about? And so he curses him by his gods. So he's got his gods on his side. He's 10 feet tall, 750 pounds, an armor bearer going in front of him. He's got a, you know, a big old huge beam of a spear with a 15-pound spearhead, all ready to go out. Man of warrior, killed you know, thousands, no doubt, getting ready to go fight this young man with no armor and a slingshot and five rocks in a bag. And you know what? It's a one-sided battle. But it's one-sided on David's side because if God is for me, who can be against me? And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I have nothing to fear when God is on my side. You know what? Goliath was judging the situation based on outward appearance. And again, he curses him by his gods. Look at the response of young, spirit-filled David. And the Philistine came, come to me, I will give you... The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Says, David, you get down here, and I'm going to chop you into small pieces, and I'm going to feed you the birds before it's over. And then here's the spirit-filled response of this young man. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcass... The carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Yeah, yeah this is good stuff. This is what happens when you have a spirit-filled teenager, amen? Yeah. This guy walk, everybody else, well, run away quickly, oh, this guy's too big. And here's David walking down going, dude, you're toast. And you know why? Because Almighty God is on my side, you've defied him. It's not me you have to worry about, it's God you've got to worry about. And he can use even me to bring you down. I can be a tool in the hand of my master, and it doesn't matter how great you are, my God's way greater than you are. And you know what? You have no idea who you're dealing with. And it's the Holy Spirit who's brought me down here. It's the Holy Spirit who you're fighting against, an almighty God. And let's just see what happens. And by the way, not only are we going to kill you, but all the Philistines are going to be wiped out today. And you know what? All of them are going to be fed to the birds, not just you. Man, that's bold. But you know what? When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can have great boldness. Amen? David saw this battle as a mere man against the power of the living God. Goliath, indeed, never had a chance. The Lord gives us a spiritual perspective. Now let's watch, putting feet to our faith. Verse, point number eight, look at verse 48. So it was when the Philistine arose and came, drew near to meet David. I love this. David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Don't you love this? Everybody else is cowering and running away. And here's little David running right at the giant. You know why? Because he knows who's on his side. He ran toward the giant, didn't flee from him. He didn't just believe that God could bring the victory. He was living like it. He didn't just believe it in his head. He was living it out in his actions. This is only possible when you have a spiritual perspective. Look what it says here. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sank in his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth 
So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. One will chase a thousand and ten will chase ten thousand. You know, God uses one man to chase an entire army. Now I picture, and picture this situation. This is how I, again, I was a youth pastor. Here's how I envision it. David comes and that sling comes and just hits this 10 foot 750, kunk. And I think he's dead on his feet, man. The rock's in his head and he just goes down, no arms out or anything, right? You know, and can you imagine 10 foot 750? Everybody's watching, they're mounted up, you know. And I imagine that was a foot and a half when he hit the ground, you know what I mean? Goosh! And I imagine dust just kicking up in the air, right? There's dust everywhere. The guys on the ground, the Philistines are going, did that just happen? And then the dust starts to clear and they look up and here stands David, sword in one hand, holding up Goliath's big old huge head and his helmet in the other hand. And holding up the sword going, okay. And the Philistines went, we're out of here. And they all ran away. If their little teenage guy can whip our champion, we're in trouble. You know what it was though? It was the Holy Spirit. It was Almighty God using someone who is available. God is not impressed with ability, but availability. Man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. It was the heart of David that brought down the Philistine because he was willing to be used by the Lord. Man, we need some more Davids today. We need some more people who will stop looking at the physical circumstances and start trusting in God even when it doesn't seem to make sense. You know what? Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's not seeing and then believing, it's believing and then seeing. David went out and believed that God was going to bring the victory before he ever took the first step. And he put feet to his faith and God used him mightily. Finishing up. And when the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley of the gates of Ekron, and the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sharim, and even as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. Now this is interesting. Have you noticed how one faithful man brings faith to others? These very same people who would not go out and fight. David wins the battle. The enemy starts running away. And all of a sudden, down the mountain come all the Frady cats, right? They come busting down the mountain, right? Oh! And you know, the same can be true when you make a stand for God that other people who are closet Christians might finally step up. Amen. You find out who the Christians are when you stand up and they go, yeah, you know, bro, that's true. You know, I agree with that. You know, praise God that you spoke up. Amen to that. We need someone to be the David sometimes to lead the way that others might be increased in their faith and boldness as well. And that's what happens to the entire army because a teenage boy trusted God. And went down and said, I'll be the tool, Lord. If nobody else will, I will. Last point. Oh, wait a minute. Verse 54. They took the, now, look at this. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem and put the armor in his tent. That's kind of a gruesome picture, isn't it? He takes the head with him to Jerusalem. By the way, this is the biggest guy they got. And this is what God does to the biggest guy who comes against God. Just a reminder. Then he took his armor. Can you imagine how, how big his... I mean, I told you his coat was 125 pounds. He takes all the armor and puts it in his tent as a reminder to what God can do with one who will be faithful. Last point. A spirit-filled man remains, faith, remains humble even in victory. Look at the last few verses. 
Verse 55, when, David's, when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Amner, the commander of the army, Amner, whose, whose son is this youth? And Amner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And that's amazing because he's been playing before him, right? He was, he was the guy in there playing music for him. To Saul's just all kinds of thick. Now look at verse 56. So the king said, inquires whose son this young man is. Now they need to know whose son it was so that Jesse wouldn't have to pay taxes. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Amner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. Again, here's the meeting. He shows up before Saul holding the big old bloody head of Goliath. And then look at verse 58. I want you to see this. And Saul said, whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. David is the anointed king. David is the victorious warrior. David is the one who went out and fought when nobody else would. And David remains humble. There's a great example for all of us, amen? Because David realizes he can do nothing without the Lord. And so he should never get any glory. No one should ever point to him. People should all, always and only point to the Lord. David, though anointed king and now the mightiest in, warrior in Israel, refers to himself as a family, and his family as servants. So let me close with this. Some types of David and Jesus. Some things you see in common between David and Jesus. David's name means beloved, and Jesus is God's beloved son. They were both born in Bethlehem. They were both rejected by their people. Of course, when David became king, his people did not receive him yet, just as the Jew, and, but later they would. Just as the Jews did not receive Christ, but when he returns, they will. David was anointed king years before he was permitted to reign, just as Christ is king now and will not reign on the earth until Satan is banished. David was sent to the battlefield by his father, and Christ was sent by his father into the world. David is a picture or a type of our Savior. King Saul typifies Satan. Saul was rejected and defeated and yet was permitted to reign until David came to the throne. Satan is permitted to persecute God's people, yet yet one day soon, he will be removed completely. What great lessons in this young man, David. Amen? I'm really glad my parents named me David. I like that name. So, the points. David versus Goliath, the one-sided battle between a physically overpowering giant warrior and a young, humble, spirit-filled shepherd boy. Number one, the overwhelming size of the enemy, the impossible circumstances. We can so easily be blown away by them. We see that example in tonight's text. We saw the fearful response of those focused on the physical. They couldn't handle it. It was too much. They ran away. But we see the bold response of the spirit-filled. Those who are filled with the spirit of living God who saw things from a spiritual perspective. We saw the world's criticism and caution toward those who boldly step out in faith. When we step out, there will often be those who criticize and even well-meaning Christians who will caution us against doing God's will. The spirit-filled man's faith is not in his own ability, but the power of God. The world tries to overcome spiritual attacks by worldly methods. We need to not do things the world's way, but God's way. We saw the contrast between a physical and spiritual perspective. Goliath was a mighty warrior versus a mere shepherd boy, and David was with Almighty God versus a mere man. He understood the real perspective. Last two points, we're to put our feet to our faith. It's not enough to believe. We must put, put our faith in action. Our belief must impact our behavior. And then lastly, a spirit-filled man remains humble even in victory. May we remain humble because you know what? Our God's done it all, and to Him be all the glory. Amen?
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this great example. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to see the overwhelming circumstances, not from a physical perspective, but a spiritual one. Lord, I pray in the face of great enemies, we would not run away. I pray in the face of trials, Lord, that we would not turn from you, but to you. Lord, that our faith would grow. Lord, that we would trust you. Lord, I pray that you would help us as you would fill us with your spirit to step out in faith, to put feet to our faith, Lord. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit upon every person in this room tonight. May each of us be like David in the face of overwhelming circumstances. Lord, may we trust you. May we be tools in the hands of our master. Lord, we want to see this county turn right side up for your kingdom. And Lord, we pray you begin in our hearts first. So Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. We thank you, Lord, that you never leave us nor forsake us. You are such a faithful God. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.